Checking in again with State Representative Tacky Chan of Quincy for another Tacky Talk podcast. How are you doing today, Tacky? Hey, doing great. Great to see you uh, as we're closing in the middle of the second half of July. Uh, and, uh, you know, always happy to see you. And uh, notice I'm uh, home this week when I was uh, in the office last week. Yeah, well, you don't look uh, too uh, smoky or singed, but <laughs> were you uh, were you at the state house when the fire broke out? Uh, yeah, I had meetings at the state house yesterday, uh, in-person meetings, and a few virtual ones too. As we talked about this whole hybrid world, where we're in and then we're on video, and then we're still in. It's uh, it's a bit of a scheduling juggle, uh, but we actually had two alarms yesterday. You know, about uh, eleven o'clock ish, right before eleven o'clock ish, we had a. Uh, a fire alarm go off because uh, somebody uh, went through an alarm door uh, incorrectly, which then triggered the, the full alarm, which is the evacuation. And we're back inside the building in, in less than 20 minutes once the police and the rangers signaled all clear. And then uh, around 2.15-ish, give or take, the alarm went off again. So most of us figured, well, somebody opened the emergency door a second time uh, as they're doing construction in Ashburton Park. The access doors have been a little bit um, confusing because we lost the uh, Ashburn Park entrance to construction. And uh, next thing you know, we're out there, we've, we're under the arches and we figured, okay, well, this will be another, you know, thing we'll, you know, wait it out for the 20 minutes and it'll give it all clear. Next thing you know, they're shuffling us across the street, like rangers and cops, like literally moving everybody across the street. And we're like, okay, so this is for real. So we're trying to figure out what's going on because, you know, bomb threats are a weekly event in the states. Most people don't realize that uh, we are subject to uh, bomb threats uh, and as well as actually cyber attacks all the time, it sounds like from, from the LIS people, to, to information system people. So this this is very regular. So we're across the street. I ran to our DA, Michael Morrissey, outside, which, you know, we, we had some story sharing with the interns and the staff, as you guys can imagine. And then, uh, you know, I pop my head out to see what's happening. And now they're really pushing people like across the street and they have the cops coming in to shut down the street. And now we're up to like five fire trucks. I'm like, okay, that's a lot of fire trucks. Then we see a ladder, a truck on Dern Street, which is in the backside of the building where original, uh, or the older version of Suffolk Law, those from Suffolk Law uh, on Beacon Hill, not the new building. Um, you know, sitting on that side of the street and it blocked off the entire end of Dern Street and then uh, a ladder up. And I'm like, well, this is for real. Uh, this is not someone burning uh, popcorn in a microwave or some instance of an alarm pole by prank or someone going through, going through the wrong security exit or entry points. You know, th this is like a real problem. So next thing you know, uh, words out that there's an electrical fire or some sort in the basement and kind of permeate when it's up. And uh, we were you know, still hanging out there. First, it was like you know, 30 minutes, then it became like two hours, then it became we don't know uh, how long it's going to take to deal with the situation. So I was hanging outside. People head to a restaurant, you know, cool off. It was pretty warm, as you all know, yesterday. So we found a, a bar, restaurant, coffee shop, whatever at this point. Everybody was spreading out to the four winds and, you know, you know, texting and calling each other as people kind of was waiting for word. And about 5.30-ish, you know, they were, there was active talk via this thing uh, about going back into the building, just to grab and go. Uh, the issue was carbon monoxide had filled up the state house. And those who ever visit the state house know we don't have a properly functioning HAVC system. There's no HVAC in our building that works well. Uh, we're still mostly uh, 
most of the building runs on uh, forced hot water or forced hot uh, coolant. Uh, and uh, just a little fan underneath the pipes. There's no actual ventilation system. So uh, not surprising the carbon monoxide is lingering. They have opened a bunch of the doors and got the fans out and trying to vent the building. Uh, so about 5.45 or so, you know, we go in and get our stuff and get out. And uh, yeah, it had that kind of um, burnt rubbery metal smell in the hallways. And, uh, you know, it became like, well, we can't linger here too long. This, this can't be good for us. So we packed up our stuff, you know, the laptop, obviously I'm talking to this this laptop, how to get our equipment. And we were instructed uh, last evening that we would be working from home. And uh, the joke I have is no more snow days for the staff because we have to be able to work anywhere. We spent two years learning how to work from anywhere. Uh, this is kind of one of the interesting outcomes. Um, no informal session today. Uh, they moved it to tomorrow. And uh, it appears they uh, shifted all public hearings. And I know there's some big public hearings going on today. Everything's been shifted. And we had four public hearings suspended yesterday in the middle of the uh, of the uh, fire emergency. So there's going to be you know four uh, committees rescheduling the hearings, uh, which actually happened. They were like an hour into the hearings when the, when the fire went. So that, that's also going to cause some disruption. Um, not necessarily for the committee members, but for the testifiers who don't have to reschedule their lives. Uh, a lot of public testimony because people make time. So as I said before, citizens you know, come in, regular folks come in, people just want to want to wander in and, and, and testify. And you know, this now becomes an inconvenience for them that is no, we didn't cause this, obviously. Um, so you know, now there's no inconveniences for folks. So everybody's safe. I you know heard of no injuries. Um, you know, people are able to get out timely despite losing one of our uh, entry points, X points at Ashburn Park. Um, and, you know, thank you to the, you know, the Rangers, the state troopers, the firefighters, the building management folks, uh, and, uh, you know, folks that were going to pull the alarm because they, they did see smoke. So, you know, thankfully everybody's fine and, you know, we're all working uh, from our houses today. Yeah, as I understand it, uh, there were there were two main issues. One, they couldn't really put the fire out until they shut the power off, so they had to wait for the utility company and as you mentioned the the ceo levels uh just went uh through the roof um after that so you know those two issues combined you can't let people in the building yeah and you know again i, I like left out every source I mean, they had to come down and you're in boston uh, you all know there's no above ground wires so all the wiring around the state houses uh in manholes under the ground they had to come and shut the power off and they also have to check the gas and electrical lines around the state house too because it's on the ground and uh, is you're all aware, Stainos is in a residential area, uh, you know, so it just got more problematic. I mean, it could have catastrophic uh, events depending on, you know, if this fire, you know, got spread or affected the utility systems, you know, it could get really bad. It's, uh, you go to other states, a lot of the other states, state houses actually have a, a, a what do you call it, a, a boundary around it. Up to two thousand feet, so it's I won't say isolated, but it's you know it's not in like next to someone's house, which right. is well, it's like in Beacon Hill, State House is literally across the street from people's homes. Yeah, and 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 the Boston Common <laughs> is your front yard, so it's all public space, right? Yeah, yeah. There's no like barrier space or open space between the State House and anybody else. Uh, most people don't realize that. Like you know, you go to like the Capitol, for example, they have this huge space you have to get through before you have to get to the to the doors right same thing with many other capitals there's, there's a, a lot of the uh, urban type capitals come from the older cities obviously colonial era cities having the 
you know, obviously the newer capitals around the country, they could urban design uh, the, the, you know, a park, open recreational space or something around the capital uh, building so they can, you know, people can use it in the public. And, you know, in, in the modern era, it also creates a security barrier. Right. Yeah, unfortunately, something to have to be concerned about. So have you heard, is it going to be open uh, tomorrow on Thursday? Yeah, that's the uh, word so far. It is contingent on, on you know, venting the carbon monoxide out of the building. So that's the only contingency. And, uh, you know, they're going to have to open windows, grab fans, and, and just, you know, keep pumping this stuff out of there. Um, but I anticipate we should be okay coming tomorrow. I suspect we're going to have our windows open all day tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, to continue the venting process. Uh, I do expect that it's going to have some tinty smell uh, for a while. Yeah, it's uh, that ozone smell from electrical fires that, that we know about here. Yeah, and I'm in a basement office. Mm. So, my, and, you know, this stuff tends to sink. So, uh, you know, and it's, it's going to get trapped because we have the, the granite concrete ceilings above us. Yeah, they're like 14, 15 feet high, but there's nowhere else for it to go. It just kind of lingers. There's no like, HEV blowing down or anything sucking it up. It just yeah. sits there, right? And the only way they can float out nets is through the hallways. And there's only one uh, hall, uh, ent- uh, one stair entrance, which is part of the bottom of the grand staircase. And that's the only way up. The, on the other side, there's actually nothing. Well, there is one, but it's not as um, open in terms of mm-hmm. like uh, available airspace. The other one's a much smaller airspace on the other side of the hallway. So. Yeah, I think this, we're going to be dealing with this for a while. So we all visiting state house in the next two or three days. Uh, maybe you know, into early next week, you might uh, you might sniff some odd burning smells. <laughs> That's, I mean, it's an old building, it's a historic building, uh, so it comes with its with its quirks. <laughs> well, the side of the bit of a man has a uh, has a um, foundation stone saying 1899 on it. So you know, the building 1797. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, it's it's one of the oldest uh, continuously functioning state houses you know, in the U.S. and in the world, actually. Mm. Uh, and it's uh, you know we still are a public building, we're a functional office building, and we're actually a museum. Uh, so uh, it is a unusual capital building, even on a, on a, on a global level, uh, specifically when it's a continuous use. And continue using the manner we're still using it. Mm-hmm. Other places, you know, this age uh, use the legislative body function, but you don't have office functions in there. Office functions are somewhere else. Right. Well, I mean, even Quincy City Hall now is like that, right? The the old town hall is 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 like that. And then there's the, the McIntyre Mall for all the offices. Yeah, exactly. You find this. Uh, my favorite examples of this is Albany, uh, New York. They have another very very old state house, but the administrative office is across the street. Mm. Um, so it's you know they have the the public hearings, the staff offices, and everything else there. They use the the building as a legislative body. So, right. and as you all know, I mean this place predates uh, central heating, plumbing, electricity, and Wi-Fi. So, you know it's a it's definitely a hard large construction. I mean if you want to do this right, you have to gut the whole place, right. spend you know probably hundred million dollars more, and just gut the whole thing and do it like modern code. I'll be honest, that's never going to happen. Right. Yeah. You know, we're still trying to figure out how to renovate the, uh, the house chamber that's been talked about for many years now. We know the Senate chamber was renovated and complete about five years ago. 
but we're still trying to figure out how to do it. The house chamber, uh, which does have a leaky roof, uh, there you know, constantly restoration work along the paintings that you see behind the rostrum, and you know, and the, the electrical system and the lighting is is very antiquated. So, yeah. at some point, you know, probably not under this speaker's time, you know, perhaps the next one, you know, they need to come up with a plan at some point before the um, the nature of the building will get to the nature of the world. But yeah, I mean, what's going to happen is there'll be a new building somewhere nearby, and that will, will be turned into a museum. Um, no, 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 no. We're very, we're very much into our traditions. I have a hard time seeing this building that ever uh, not be what you see today in terms of accessibility and usage. Oh, okay. It, it's again, it's a very, it's a tradition. I mean, it's it's been doing this since the end of the Revolutionary War. Um, and, you know, we abandoned the original state, oh, not us, me, but I mean, the original uh, founders, you know, abandoned the, the state house, which is now a museum on State Street, which has the train station running underneath it. But the historical nature of the building and uh, the, the continuation tradition, you know, I suspect uh, until the Republic ends, uh, this building will continue to be used, you know, in the manner you see it today. It just needs work. That's okay. all. All right. We'll see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> We'll both be gone by that time, probably, Jackie. <laughs> I definitely hope to be well gone by that time. Uh, as I kind of state more and more as I'm getting a little bit long in the tooth in politics, I mean, I have no interest in dying in this place. But, you know, when the time is right, you know, it's time to move on and move on. Um, hey, want to talk about North Korea for a while? We haven't done that in a bit. And it's it's uh, it's back in the news again. Yeah, uh, you know, it's uh, about a, maybe almost a month now. I mean, they had a failed uh, uh, silent, silent launch, which caused a panic in uh, Okinawa and, you know, South Korea did go into emergency, essentially lockdown mode for about 15, 20 minutes where they're trying to determine whether it was a ballistic attack or was it an error. It turned out to be their first attempt at a spy satellite launch uh, failed and essentially exploded and fell into the, uh, the sea in the area, but it did cause a panic. And you guys all know tensions have uh, been very much uh, ramped up uh, the last four-ish years. Um, and, uh, you know, most recently a U.S. serviceman who was uh, 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 was in jail for assault in South Korea and get ready to deport it back to the U.S. for uh, military uh, tribunal, which more likely resulted in a discharge didn't get on the plane uh, when escorted there to come back to the U.S. Instead, you know, took a tour group to the EMZ and ran across the line in North Korea and was promptly captured. Uh, when I visited my North Korea, my Korean, uh, Korean North, I'm sorry, my Korean, yeah, my South Korean visit uh, back in 2014, I believe now, uh, I did go to the DMZ. I've seen, I got pictures of it. And, uh, you know, there's specific rules. You don't point, you have to stay in certain directions. You go to take pictures of certain things. I mean, it's very strict for tourists. And uh, there's been like over 2,000 incursions uh, at the DMZ. It's, it's things that have happened, but, you know, it's only been like five U.S. servicemen uh, or five U.S. people uh, that actually had an incursion incident. Um, uh, but a many, of course, many incursions occur, uh, what happens when uh, North Koreans are trying to feed, uh, feed themselves. And uh, most people don't realize North Korean tunneling, you know, was occurring in the 70s. You know, right into early 80s, the, the U.S. and South Koreans caught uh, these tunnels trying to uh, essentially invade South Korea. It's very, it actually is part of a museum now, uh, some of these tunnels uh, 
from from the seventies of this like invasion plan, you know, Un- uh, from and, an, from underground, from underground. Yeah, tunneling is a big thing in warfare. Uh, in the Korean Peninsula, tunneling was crucial as part of both sides' military actions. I never realized that. And uh, tunneling warfare is a very, very big thing uh, with the North Koreans. So most days you can't even detect it, but it was like, you know, it turned out, I think one of them turned up as an accident because they hit a water system. And when the utility guys came out and saw, hey, there's a lot more going on here than just a broken pipe. Military came in and of course, you know, North Koreans blamed the South Koreans for building the tunnel. Yeah. But if you look in, they they use a you know, small uh, uh, explosive charges, and you can see the the, fa- the facing direction of the charges was not facing the South Korean side. Interesting. So, um, but it is a very unusual uh, for folks to cross uh, into North Korea, particularly at the DMZ, where they're just going to shoot you. Yeah. How how big is the DMZ? I mean, can you you know can you see across it, or is it like yeah. a football field's length, or yeah, it's uh, actually is kind of a tourist area for South Korea. Uh, you know, they have tour groups. Uh, you know, shock it was like a mini amusement park at one point, but I mean, it was built in the area where they have an observation deck. You can see right across the DMZ. DMZ is not a small area. I mean, once you look at it, uh, and uh, they you know, have the, you know, the the memorials as well. You know, folks that they'll miss their loved ones on the other side of the the line because you know families were broken up and never united as people you know fled. During the end of the Korean War, during the Korean War, people, uh, the Korean War vets will tell you, I mean, the place was just bombed to, to nothingness. And, um, you know, it was really bad. I mean, people don't realize how bad it was. Korean War vets will tell you, there's just endless amount of destruction mm. going on. And, and uh, you know, it was a fight for your life type situation in actually a pretty small geographic area. Yeah. Um, is there a it, physical border, Jackie? Is there like a wall or a fence or something? There's a fence, uh, but most of it that would deter you is actually the wilderness. So, oh. you know, since the end of the war, nature has reclaimed uh, undeveloped areas and the DMZ is undeveloped. Yeah. So uh, what was once a wasteland of um, shells and destruction has become a really forested area. Uh, with wildlife, interestingly, wildlife, a lot of uh, scientists actually looking at wildlife from the South Korean side to see, you know, things that returned, animals that came back. And, and unfortunately, uh, there's a lot of landmines. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So you could try to, you know, climb a fence, get through the minefield in the wilderness, this very short strip of wilderness, but it's, it's you know, completely wild. They're trying mm-hmm. to get to the other side and climb yet another fence. So it, it sounds simple, but it really isn't. Um, mm-hmm. And again, landmines. So, you know, I was told a story that it's not surprising some wildlife actually will hit a landmine and they would have to investigate what happened to said landmine. Right. Uh, so, it, you know, it's fully militarized in the sense that, you know, you can't see it all uh, from the tourist areas, but, you know, to have all the relative military equipment you would need that you're going to cross over, you can cross over. The, the, the areas tourists see are designed for tourists. Sure. And, yeah. In the North and South Koreans actually have identical looking tourist areas on the other side, essentially, where uh, Chinese tourists actually go to the North Korean side. It's part of the Korean economy. Um, And they have these uh, rooms in the middle of the zone on the line. And that's where official uh, communique is happens between the North Korean and the South Korean or any other government. 
And uh, the UN has a peacekeeping force uh, in there of which uh, none of the major powers or well, they're represented. It's actually the other countries that represent, are represented like Sweden, you heard me of Sweden. Sweden's the current UN member that's in charge of dealing with um, incidences on the border uh, as part of the UN component to it. And the Korean War technically isn't over. Uh, this is an armistice. So technically both sides are still fighting. Technically speaking, it's just an armistice. Same thing with uh, actually interesting. Russia and Japan never signed a formal peace treaty after the World War II. Oh, really? Yeah, there was never a formal peace treaty. So, you know, they, they technically still at it uh, since World War II, but they kind of figured, eh, <laughs> we're not doing anything. So why do we need something formal? Well, uh, everybody that was involved at that time is gone. So, <laughs> yeah, they kind of like, yeah, but I suspect maybe perhaps they'll close that loophole and, you know, maybe after Ukraine's done, perhaps I have no idea. Uh, yeah. no, these are little trivia facts that are out there that uh, you know, that the people don't realize. I mean, the Korean War is not technically over; it's just an armistice. So, with the war in Ukraine going on, you know, uh, you know, uh, South Korea feels more and more emboldened, obviously, uh, regarding what's going on on their ability to, to rattle rattle people. And historically, uh, tactics has been you know cause trouble, freak people out, make a demand, get something out of it. Uh, what's been interesting with this current um, uh, I don't know, I won't call it president, but, you know, dude that runs the place. Um, uh, he doesn't make a lot of demands. He shaber rattles, but doesn't follow up with, I want oil, I want grain, I want rice, I want X, Y, Z. And during COVID, the, the claim was that, you know, they had very minimal deaths with no true modern hospitalization system a high malnutrition country uh, and um, no vaccinations. Yeah. So we, and of course you don't, you don't know because there's no official record. There's no official record. And uh, I will tell you, they probably intentionally kept no official record. Yeah. So you will never know uh, what really happened up there during COVID. I mean, a lot of the, you know, UN studies in North Korea regarding uh, starvation and famine, which is real, uh, you know, really comes from people who escape out of the area and try to do some math, general math to figure it out. But, uh, you know, those who escape North Korea, read, you can find their stories online. The part of the UN documentation regarding human rights, you know, it, it is tragic and, and frightening. And again, it is a close country, despite internet and, you know, satellites and radio waves and everything else. It is one of the most sealed off parts of the planet in terms of communication in and out of uh, an area. It's shocking uh, when you think about the fact that we constantly talk about data privacy, uh, mm. you know, to watch TV, you know, people who still listen to radios or now have silent radios or probably people just read uh, and listen over internet or 5G, 4G radio is, you know, is something that's part of our lives. There's, there is a part of the planet that does have technology that's denied to its citizens as a modern economy and somehow still able to, you know, basically uh, control by information from the state, you know, a whole population of millions um, that really have no idea what the rest of the world looks like. It assumes that they're living in a good situation. The rest of the world is, you know, completely collapsed. Right. Yeah. It's it's so interesting that this this military defector thought that was better. <laughs> that, yeah, that I, 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 I U.S. court. Well, he's uh, the two. There's a few scenarios that could happen. One, he could find himself in a jail being tortured for information, 
uh, to the North Korea, re, re, North Koreans realize that there's really nothing to get. The, the, the other option is that they could make um, um, an example of the uh, death of the U.S. Uh, supremacy. And uh, the Western world and the rest of the world is horrible because this military uh, person came over the other side to seek re- asylum. Right. And yeah. uh, he tried to plead asylum and he will basically do whatever he's told uh, to avoid uh, a harder life there by spreading North Korean propaganda. If he does do that, they're not going to be shy to share that with the rest of the planet. Oh, right. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, stay tuned. This could be a very uh, interesting outcome as those are a couple of possible scenarios. Uh, and, uh, you know, whether or not, you know, the U.S. wants to or able to bring it back, there is a U.S. policy uh, that if you're a U.S. citizen, that, you know, the U.S. government, you know, is duty-bound to try to find a way to bring you home. Hmm. Uh, uh, if you're in jail, obviously, for a crime committed, that's a different conversation. But even then, I mean, there's, you know, always a uh, desire to maintain contact with those folks and then try to get them back. Um, we can name some cases, which were, I have a lot of question marks for over, over many years. Um, but, you know, that's been the U.S. policy. I mean, remember the Clinton had the kid mm-hmm. that was uh, graffiti in uh, Singapore. And they negotiate how many caning he would get under Singaporean law. I remember that, yeah. You know, um, you had that kid that defaced the uh, North Korean um, poster in the airport. Oh, right. Forgot about that, yeah. Yeah, I think he died. I think you're right. Uh, he came he died after he got home, yeah. Yeah, because of mistreatment. Yeah. So, you know, the, it is the U.S. policy of doing, of doing that. We still have some people in Russia um, that were trying to still get out, as you guys know. Um, yeah, there's a Wall Street reporter, I think, that's over there. Up to a Wall Street reporter, yeah. They're going to be cracking down on all, all uh, foreign-born media, uh, much less crack down on the locals. So if you're non-local, it's bad. But if you're uh, out, from outside Russia, it's, I think it's going to – they're going to come find you. Uh, just yeah. tomorrow. Okay, so, so I'll cancel my trip then. Yeah, I might all see us doing a, a, a tacky talk from uh, uh, St. Petersburg or – Moscow anytime soon. No, we just have to stick stick with good old Quincy. <laughs> yeah, I think we're much better off overall. You're right. <laughs> um, so we still don't have a state budget, Techie. <laughs> yep. It's every conversation every week. Uh, I know there were, uh, obviously, because of the nature of the fire, we got to see the Senate and House Ways Means chairs floating around. So obviously they were working today. Uh, yesterday. So uh, the conversation continues. Uh, as I said before, again, I'm continuous speculation, so please don't hold me to this as fact. I think the, the tax package continues to be a bit of a problem because, again, it's whatever tax cuts, because that's where they are, cuts, hmm. are going to bake into the bottom line of the budget. And that, that is an overall revenue reduction, not just for this cycle, but future cycles. And the two versions of the bill are quite far apart <laughs> on Really? Okay. What they look like, excuse me, as well as um, how they try to make it revenue neutral. Okay. Uh, as close as possible to revenue neutral. I can't. Pro- I can't promise it's going to happen. That's why it's called a tax cut. Uh, you know, baked in the fact that you know existing uh, revenues or you know, existing systems that we have in place is able to you know, deal with it. I won't say short for, but I mean the rebudgeting of what the future is. I mean. 
Like when we did chapter 70, obviously, a massive increase. The city got another $8 million in counting uh, per year, $8 million plus per year, additional money for, for education funding. You know, obviously, it gets baked into the baseline budget for next year, right? Mm -hmm. And at least for seven subsequent years, that's going to be the formula. Same thing we have in Medicare, Medicaid, particularly the Medicare side. We pay half of all that as well as part of that federal program. You know, that's baked in the future as, you know, we keep talking about the news over and over again, the baby boomers, right? It's constant conversation in the news. But those are our new Medicare recipients. So we actually have to budget our um, budget and anticipation of X number of folks hitting that age based on census data uh, and, and budget that in, um, which then squeezes the rest of the budget, right? Yeah. Uh, and uh, as I said before, I'll say again, I mean, revenue growth is very bizarre right now because while people's wages are up, capital gains are a complete disaster in this cycle, which were marvelous the cycle before. Um, and at uh, some point, you know, wage growth is going to have to slow and consumer spending on discretionary items that are subject to sales tax, you know, are going to take a hit at some point. Eventually. It hasn't yet, though. It was up again in June. Yes, uh, consumer data uh, is ahead of prediction. Chicago uh, consumer data showed that consumers are, I believe, at 72% yeah. uh, confidence in the consumer economy. Uh, it is really, but it's very mixed bag because if you listen to uh, national data regarding supermarkets, uh, still sticking to very specific brand names, but it's just scaling back on things like beef. Mm -hmm which has very high prices to sticking to the essentials. So obviously everyone knows Campbell Soup and all the Smucker stuff and the various brand names. And, you know, they, they and, you know, Pepsi, you know, they have all the Frito-Lays and so forth. Uh, you know, those guys are, are still able to sell in inflationary price. Um, but people are like being much more particular about what they purchase. They're being very selective. We'll see what the... Um... Be curious to see what the sales tax holiday weekend brings. Um, if folks take advantage of that, yeah, I, I was that it's uh, the second weekend in August, I believe. So that'll be like uh, the let's see, the tenth is my birthday, so that's a Thursday, I think. So Friday, it'll, it'll be twelve or thirteen. Yes, that's right. Yep. So yeah, I mean, everyone should take advantage of sales tax holiday. But again, I mean, even the sales tax factor. You know, uh, and I know it's back to school time. That's part of the reason why I do the sales tax uh, in in August. Uh, you know, exactly. You know, people are going to be very um, selective. I know Amazon Prime Day was really good, but Amazon Prime Day also was a, was also a massive amount of discounts to clear inventory. So, will uh, retailers, brick and mortar retailers in particular, do massive amounts of discounts sales tax weekend to try to clear the inventory for the winter? Probably, yeah. You'll see a lot of summer clothing probably on sale and you know, beach wear and stuff like that. And I think we're going to find electronics still on sale. I, I mm -hmm. think they're going to try to clear inventory of that uh, because people have bought a lot of the big screen TVs and other electronic goods during the COVID time period. Uh, you know, people getting big TVs shipped to the homes. Um, but I, I I, think we might be able to find, you know, a lot of uh, good deals that weekend, particularly stuff that's, you know, over inventory, you just got to mm -hmm. get stuff out of the warehouse. Um, so, but, you know, does Amazon Prime a prelude uh, to what's going to happen in August? And uh, again, I say again over and over again, I believe people have already planned vacations back in January. They've already been prepaid for, which is the travel you see in the summer into the fall. But what's going to happen between Thanksgiving and Christmas? Yeah, no, but it's an, it's an unknown right now, right? Yeah. 
Yeah, and uh, as uh, stores, you know, all stores doesn't matter what online or or brick and mortar, but inventory is the issue. You don't move inventory; it just costs you money. That's right. Yep, it's not making your money; just sit on the shelf. Exactly, and uh, you know, you've seen some electrical car price uh, cuts. Tesla did massive cuts. Ford has uh, cut the F one. Was it F one fifty? Yeah, I think that's right. The electric the, version. The electric version. Yeah. You know, it's cut their prices uh, in the price war with Tesla, but also uh, getting um, a car loan is expensive. Mm-hmm. It's it's you know even with federal government assistance on buying certain electric vehicles and even these price cuts, you know people are going to have to take out loans and cars perhaps in the six percent higher zone. Yeah, depending uh, on your credit, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's going to affect your credit. Uh, it can affect your credit, and in uh, regional banks, small banks are going to be denying loans more because of the higher interest rates and the bond yields and all this other stuff are how banks uh, make money on your money. Um, and there's going to be stress on these smaller banks to increase their interest rates to keep your deposits as opposed to migrate by click of a button, you know, on your phone to move your money around. But, you know, I think there's going to be a lot of stress in smaller banks on, on issuing these loans um, because. You know, there's very still some uncertainty about whether wage growth, which is slowing, is going to be able to you know continue. And um, you know, and this is seventy percent consumer-driven economy. The, the economy is is largely driven by you know us. We're able to be able to spend money. And I don't know if you saw the import exports out of China, but ex- import exports out of China in the last quarter is down significantly. They, they did not make target at all. And uh, exporting goods out of China is, is essential for the global economy. <laughs> and they're the single biggest consumer of import goods in, in the sense that, um, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're U.S. imports of things from Coca-Cola to Estee Lauder, you know, the Europeans and Ralph Lauren and you know, mm-hmm. all that uh, U.S. brands are imports. And, uh, you know, consumers in China have been very frugal in spending on certain items, too, which uh, affects our imports to that country, which affects jobs here. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's a lot of question marks, you know, on the global level. The EU is technically still in a recession, technical recession. But, you know, the British today reported its first inflation reduction, significant inflation reduction by like oh, just about a percentile, uh, which is a big deal because, you know, Europe, you know, England was looking, you know, staying in that 8 to 10% zone for so long in inflation. You know, it affects your buying power, especially imports, especially imports. Yes, yeah. And, you know, energy prices are still high, too. So there's that. Yeah, globally, energy prices are still up there, but it's very volatile. Um, yeah. It's very volatile pricing. I think that's one of the problems with consumer price indexes and, and core uh, inflation indexes and other indexes that use regarding the economy is that there's just no steadiness on the uh, the fuel market because the Saudis are trying to cut, but no one else wants to play with them. So it becomes a bit of a mess. And the Russians are trying to keep uh, prices artificially high. And the European US price cap seems to be having an effect because the the Russians are working very hard to try to do market manipulation with the people still buying uh, gas from them to try to keep it as high as possible. But if you look at the WTI, well, graph, it, it's like all over the place. And um, they can't fund that war in Ukraine without pushing out more gas globally. 
and eventually that war is going to have an impact on domestic spending. Yep. Um, they can't get enough uh, oil, uh, gas sold because that's pretty much what they got. And you know, grain sales is going to be a mess for Russia too because people need it, but you know, they need your money more than than they need that grain out. And at some point, all that spending is going to adversely impact uh, their domestic, you know, domestic. Uh, spending on, on supporting their own economy and infrastructure. I mean, California and Texas each have a bigger economy than Russia. There you go. That says okay. it right there. Yeah. Let's put this in perspective. I mean, Russia dropped out of the top 10 when the war started. And, uh, you know, I think at least five states in, this, in the U.S. is a bigger economy. I think New York, Florida, Texas, California, and probably one other one, you know, has, has a, it's going to have a bigger economy than, than Russia. Well. What else? I mean, all they have is is natural resources to sell, right? What, what, I mean, you're not we're not driving Russian cars. We, we don't have Russian televisions. Um, that's all they have. Yeah, it, it's a, a fossil fuel country and it's a agricultural export country. You're right; they don't do manufacturing. It was just kind of funny because you have a lot of. Uh, I know we don't like fossil fuels, but if you have a lot of fossil fuels, you can create manufacturing, right? You have the energy capacity to to create state uh, utility uh, supported. Uh, and uh, we know they're kind of a weird quasi state private entities in, in business. Uh, but, uh, you know, you could have like, you know, major manufacturing at, you know, pretty affordable labor uh, for the EU and, you know, other countries as, but businesses don't like unstable environments. People, right. businesses like stability. They may not like the government. They may like, like not like the regulations. But they like stability. So uh, not all businesses enjoy working in other countries because they don't like the regulatory structure, but it's predictable. If they can, if they can make a profit at it, right, they, they'll do it. Yeah, they like, they like it when it's predictable so, you can, so they know if the business can or cannot thrive in that environment. Russia is very unpredictable right now, uh, and they've been unpredictable for 20 years. So foreign investment gets nervous about, you know, making money there, right? Mm -hmm. so China now has reached unpredictable uh, because the sable rattling about taking over Taiwan, yeah. the new national security law, espionage law regarding handing over your data uh, to the Chinese government when asked, um, the, requ uh, the requirement of how much uh, state and Communist Party representation on your boards and businesses in China has made uh, U.S. business more nervous. And uh, the Chinese need to, and uh, they do need to, and it's going to, and business is going to flee is they have to repeal the tax credits and tax breaks. Uh, one of the reasons a lot of foreign investment is China because they create very, 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 very lucrative, lucrative uh, no tax incentives uh, for them to bring their money to China, and now they're paying the price for it because all this foreign investment in China was receiving very little or no taxation. Mm -hmm. And that has an adverse effect on the Chinese economy to support itself as, as they want to be, you know, like all other countries with large infrastructure and support systems domestically. And well, you got no tax money. Obviously, that's not going to happen. You're dealing with a billion, two people. Uh, and they're also aging out. So you're going to have to provide a lot of support for senior citizens. So if they're not collecting tax, sufficient taxes, then that's not going to work, right? And if they can't keep their economy going to create continuous middle class, we all know the uber rich don't pay that much. So- yeah. You know, they got to stimulate this economy to keep this thing moving so people can pay. They got a 20% plus unemployment rate among young folks under under 26, I think. So 
you know, that also impacts your long-term economy too. Uh, but, you know, one of the things that uh, they been having a hard time on on taxation is is taxing foreign businesses that have gotten used to since the 80s zero taxation of foreign investment so uh, foreign investment into the country so mm-hmm. you know also doing you know trying to keep the money there because people are trying to flee to make investments in other places basically to hide the money from the government and make money other places China's more complicated than people realize in terms of its economy. Yeah, it's the second best economy in the world. It has one of the highest purchasing powers per person because of the volume of people. It has one of the bigger, biggest middle classes in the planet, but nowhere as wealthy as our middle class. Um, and, uh, but it, you know, again, but also, you know, they're integral part of the global economy. You know, but they're also subject to the same forces every country is regarding foreign investment. And the US government has the most liquidity on the planet. I mean, we have the stock market. I mean, it's like instant liquidity. If we, if we have a viable uh, business uh, worth billions that people are going to take a risk in and invest in it. Uh, our private stock markets are not run by the government. They're privately held stock markets, right? And, you know, that includes a little Boston stock market we have mm-hmm. down in the financial center in the post, uh, uh, post office square. There's a little one there. That's all privately run. So, it's not like the state comes in and says, shut down your market, right? They, they make a decision themselves on the adverse impact on the economy if the market goes a certain direction. Um, they're like, you know, Great Depression, right? And, and, and again, they also stopped trading. Uh, First, First Republic, for example, right? First Republic Bank, a Silicon Valley Bank, they stopped trading on purpose because they were going into the toilet fast in stocks. Right. So it's suspended trading. Uh, you know, the Chinese government can just go to Shanghai market and just shut it down in a day if they felt like they wanted to for some, whatever reasons they could think so um so yeah i mean business earning which leads to other countries like you know how confident government of vietnam how confident government in india how confident governments in indonesia how confident yeah. government in mexico right that's part of the the business calculus right a lot of onshoring is coming back to uh, actually interesting a lot of western part of the country but also onshoring back to places like canada and in mexico yeah, actually, just talking about this with Congressman Lynch earlier today, that that uh, the U.S. dollar is still what countries base their base their currency on. Yeah, it's fluctuated over the years, but it's still between seventy and ninety percent, depending the industry. It can even be higher depending industry on trade. So you know, if I'm in um, South Africa, for example, and I want to uh, sell jewel uh, gems to a jeweler in Canada, well, would they trade it in South African? dollars or Canadian dollars? No, because they, they want confidence that the transaction will be in money that uh, that will be valued. Mm-hmm. So they, they conduct a transaction in US dollars. And right. if you listen to other uh, markets in the world and the news, they will uh, sometimes state both the currency local and the current uh, price of the US dollar as part of news reports. Yep. It, and uh, it's interesting, even countries that say they're demonetizing, they're moving with the US dollar, still actually say the U.S. dollar in their reports uh, at the current, whatever the current rate the report was written at the time. Yeah. So uh, it's it's this weird thing. And, um, but I mean, it's also the reserve currency of the world. I mean, uh, was I said earlier this year that during Warren Buffett's, uh, one of Warren Buffett's statements was that he's looking at treasury sheets and half, he couldn't figure out where the money was because like half the U.S. printed currency is not inside the U.S. That's right. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So... <laughs> And we saw that with the Russians, right? They had all this U.S. currency in the U.S. that we froze when the war hit. And uh, and I always tell this to other folks. I mean, 
if you're going to buy a treasury, a debt from a country, would you buy a Chinese treasury or would you buy a U.S. treasury? Right. That's yeah. You'd buy the U.S. treasury, of course. Yeah, confidence to pay uh, to pay that bond when the bond is due, right? Your confidence in buying the British guilt is higher than buying, you know, something in Brazil. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so that's actually part of it too. Is when you calculate the U.S. dollars that are not here, uh, then you know that's the US, including U.S. Treasuries, right? I mean, you know, it's it's hard to get away from the U.S. dollar because just the full faith and credit of the United States is not just words. That that's a global statement. Stimulating the local economy right now is the lottery. <laughs> well, again, I don't encourage people to gamble, but you all saw the numbers and you can make your own decision what you want to do next. Um, the multi-state is a big deal. We saw this during COVID um, because people weren't buying multi-state at one point. And right. we ran up these uh, jackpots, you know, in the, you know, near or over a billion dollars. And uh, it offset a lot of our uh, lottery problems regarding Keno when the restaurants and bars weren't open. You couldn't play Keno. So uh, the multi-state uh, games, again, you know, really help all lotteries or participants, including our own, and, and helps potential shortfalls in other parts of the lottery. Again, scratch tickets are still very popular. It's a uniquely mm-hmm. Massachusetts thing. And you all know that, you know, in the budget now, the House version budget includes some uh, internet lottery options um, that will fund early education programs. And, uh, you know, that's part of negotiation right now. Right. Yeah, that might be one of the... Sticking points, actually, yeah. Yeah, again, in the past, the Senate had passed, uh, the Senate had had in the past put in the internet lottery as part of the economic development bill. This House had not. Uh, under Speaker Mariano, last cycle, we put it into economic development bill. The Senate didn't want to do it on their side, despite actually voting it on in the past, uh, trying again in this year's budget. Um, I have a lot of mixed feelings on this issue. I think you've heard in the past. Uh, I don't believe it. It creates new gamblers uh, in the way people think it does. I still believe sports betting is going to be more popular than the lottery, my mm-hmm. personal opinion, particularly the younger generation. Um, and, you know, I think one of the misconceptions is that you change the medium um, because you think, you know, people on these things all kind of like, like follow that, right? Um, we all remember MySpace. Facebook killed them off. Like MySpace is shadow. Um, you know, Instagram is strong, but TikTok is stronger. And, and now we got Reels. You know, Facebook Meta put out Reels via the Instagram, and it's now you know, but it peaked out at like a hundred million so people, and the slow growth slowed. Um, and Twitter, you know, while significantly smaller than Instagram, uh, you know, hasn't seen an enormous peel off yet. Right? Because it may still happen. You know, and people shifting over the reels. So, uh, you know, I said it's a sports betting. I mean, I, th- I always believe it's going to continue to be strong, uh, but you also had that novelty factor early on, right? It's new. Let's try it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, but it is going to plateau. Uh, there's just, you know, the market gets saturated and, and that's it. Yeah, and the lottery, is, internet lottery could be a factor in the large picture of online gaming via your phone. Uh, but the question is outstanding is whether or not to create a new generation of customers while you're having a competing space with sports betting, of competing spaces of uh, in uh, urban-based casinos, meaning when it's a mm-hmm. casinos we can go to. Um, and, you know, even uh, people who aren't as interested in gambling as a regular 
activity. You know, uh, again, the Powerball is an example of that. People will buy a lottery ticket for two bucks for the sake of why not, right? But you may not see the customer again for another year or maybe in this case, three months if the Powerball, you know, does another massive spike. That's right. You know, and of course, uh, instant lottery tickets continue to be very popular as charity giveaways. I think everyone yeah. you know, locally has People love those. There. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. You've all seen so. this somewhere, right? It's still a very strong part of our local culture to to give a lottery tickets away as a raffle prize. Um, and maybe you get back your money uh, as playing the raffle through that lottery board. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. and, and bingo still exists, even though it's not what it used to be. Um, and I know in the past, the a card table charitable gaming and uh, that never quite caught on well you can't do that in new hampshire mm-hmm. just over the border yep yeah i know you guys all know you guys all know all about devices uh, <laughs> so if i'm not here next week tacky it's because i hit the jackpot and i'm in fiji <laughs> yeah, well if you're gonna go invite me along i mean all right it's a deal yeah no. <laughs> we'll have to kick in a buck though for the ticket i'm sorry <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I'm, I'm sure I'll be here next week. So how do we get a hold of you in the meantime? <laughs> well, we're not in today. Today's Wednesday, uh, July 19th. Um, hopefully we're in tomorrow, uh, well, pending the ventilation, but we do have high hopes that we'll be back in tomorrow. 617-722-2370, 617-722-2370 is the number, room 42 of the State House. Um, you can reach me by email at tacky.chan at mahouse.gov, T-A-C-K-E-Y.C-H-A-N at mahouse.gov. My email box is rather inundated right now uh, by testimony. Um, it's, it's, it's a lot, um, but we do, I, I, will, I do read through it and make sure that the staff and I will, will get back to you. Uh, but patience, everyone, please. It's, it's, it's drown, drowning in email. Um, we have Facebook. We have a state representative tax chat Facebook. Don't Facebook message. Call me. Please call me. Don't, don't Facebook message. And we have Twitter at Tacky Chan. Uh, we have that there. And we have tackychan.org. Uh, people have been actually using the contact page uh, on that website and uh, been getting emails from there, which because it has a, a because I use Squarespace, it's a message from Squarespace. That's how I know it's used. So it's easy to flag. Um, and of course, MA uh, legislature.gov. We do have all our bills, committee hearings that are recorded. You can listen to me say something dumb uh, on a public hearing if you want, uh, as well as broadcast live. And of course, you know, here with Joe at QATV and uh, Joe's podcast in the morning, you know, you might get your three to five minute brief. Excellent. Appreciate it as always, Tacky. Have a great week. You too. Have a wonderful week. See you. See you hopefully next week. <laughs>